I've been taking investing in the stock market quite seriously for the past three years, and in 2021, I made a total return of negative 3%. I had some massive winners in 2021 and obviously some massive losers. So I went back and analyzed every single trade I made this year and came up with these 18 unique investing lessons that every beginner and intermediate investor should probably hear. As someone who has now made over 150 finance videos on YouTube with some very bullish calls, some bearish calls, and openly sharing my portfolio the whole time, my goal has always been transparency and sharing everything I learn along the way. Brian Feroldi, a massively popular investor and huge contributor to The Motley Fool, posted about his meager 2% gain for 2021, but I still follow him for his input and he's performed quite well over the long term and his transparency is something I love. So before we dive into these unique 18 lessons, here is my full transparency, accompanied with screenshots. In 2020, I was up over 154%, year two, not so much. But as long as I can outperform the S&P or the market over a three to five year period, I am happy. And so far, since I've started publicly sharing this portfolio, June 16th, 2020, we're up 54.03%, which is actually almost exactly the same return as the S&P 500 over that same period. So you're saying there's a chance. This definitely takes the sting out of the last 12 months, and that's why these lessons are so important that I'm about to share with you. And finally, I don't think any other creator does this, but here's a screenshots from my actual brokerage account for proof, automatically calculated by Charles Schwab. I also recognize that I am very early in my investing career, which is why I'm lucky enough to have the help of Nick and Kevin, the fundamental and technical analysis mentors at Investor Community, who Nick outperformed the market significantly this year, and Kevin, who is a short-term trader full-time, finished with a profitable year, which is a feat within itself. So by accepting that I'll always have more to learn to improve, here are 18 unique investing lessons from my year of 2021. These will all be in the beginner to intermediate range, so let's get it. Number one, everything in the stock market is priced in, almost. This is just a fancy way of saying risk reward exists in the stock market. And if you wanna get fancy with it, go look up the efficient market hypothesis. In other words, whenever you think you have found easy money in the stock market, think again, because some algorithm or hedge fund or other market participant probably already found it and made the risk reward pretty much neutral. A classic example for new investors is when they hear that, say, a new iPhone is coming out, they're gonna go buy Apple stock because that new iPhone will mean new sales and so the stock should go up. But in reality, the market has been anticipating this for many months in advance. So which one of my trades in 2021 reminded me of this lesson? Well, that would be when I put $23,000 into a portfolio full of SPACs. And if you don't know what a SPAC is, don't worry. A SPAC is a special vehicle in the stock market that theoretically should not go below $10. This is where I thought I, I had an edge on Mr. Market. You see, these SPACs that have a floor at $10, supposedly, usually pop 10 to 20, even 50% when they make certain announcements. So with that theoretical floor of $10 and a potential upside of 10 to 20%, I thought I had found asymmetrical risk, aka easy money in the stock market. But guess what I said in the beginning? That doesn't really exist very often. A lot of these SPACs were already trading at 11 or $12 per share, which guess what is exactly 10 to 20% above their floor. In other words, that risk reward that I thought I had found was already priced in. And quick update for those who follow the channel consistently, I recently did liquidate that portfolio in December so I could raise some cash to put into my main public portfolio and go on a buying spree on stocks that have been on a discount, but more on that in other videos. After this experiment, I walked away with about a 16% loss, which again, makes sense because I was buying at a 10 to 20% premium. 
And that brings us right into lesson number two. If you hear the birds chirping, spring has already sprung. Quite poetic. In other words, if everyone is talking about the same stock, most likely the easy money there has already been made. Don't chase the hype. And to take this a step further and look for serious red flags, if everyone who's promoting or talking about this same stock is also repeating the same one to two sentences as to why it's the best stock ever, that's even more dangerous. Oftentimes this means that everyone who's talking about it might not have a very deep understanding of what this company actually does. Now I don't wanna generalize, but this is what I observed through 2020 and early 2021. So if you run into one of these situations, I would pull someone aside or message them and say, hey, how much does the company make? Are they profitable? What are their revenue growth rates? What are they expected to make next year? What are their projections? What's their financial history? Questions like that. And if people aren't able to answer these questions up front or in depth, either one, go do your own due diligence and give it a shot, or two, this is likely a hype stock. You see, early 2021 had a lot of FOMO and speculative investing and chasing stocks. And so to follow that theme, here's lesson number three, stay in your dang lane, people. If you are a finance major, for example, such as yours truly, and you've never read a page of bioengineering, it's probably in your best interest not to go invest in a biotech stock that you know nothing about. Warren Buffett refers to this as staying in your circle of competence, and I would call it stay in your circle of understanding. I do not code and I am not competent in cybersecurity. However, I can understand how CrowdStrike, for example, is a superior cybersecurity company to its competitors. But on the other hand, if you give me two biotech companies and you ask me to compare the drugs that they're developing, I wouldn't even know where to begin or how to tell whose is better. From my experience, it's okay to invest in the field that you can really learn and understand reasonably and to a good extent just learning on your own but if it's something as technical and complicated as say biotech or other similar industries then it's really hard to be able to have a good idea of the competitive landscape what different press releases mean what news for this company will actually affect their fundamentals and therefore their stock price the further you venture out of your circle of competence or circle of understanding the more likely you are to lose money and that brings us to lesson number four but first, a quick word from the sponsor of today's video, Masterworks.io. With stocks trading at their highest valuations since the dot-com bubble and inflation not looking too transitory, professional investors are looking to both outperform the stock market and hedge against inflation. And by professional, I'm talking about guys like Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset manager. He recently called one asset class in particular the world's greatest store of wealth today. And the Wall Street Journal just called it one of the hottest markets on earth. Masterworks allows you to invest in fine art, the asset class that has outpaced the S&P by 174% from 1995 to 2020. And has seen almost double the appreciation of real estate, gold, and 90% of cryptocurrencies during that same time. According to Citibank, fine art has the lowest correlation to the stock market of any major asset class and is shown to outperform during times of inflation. In 2020, Masterworks made investors 32% annualized returns with their sale of Banksy's Mona Lisa. And just recently, they made investors a 31.7% rate of return with their purchase and subsequent sale of George Condos staring into space. And what's amazing is that with Masterworks, you do not need millions of dollars to invest in fine art. For example, I believe this painting by Basquiat is going to appreciate pretty nicely. So I've invested in that painting and I can either wait for it to be sold like the two paintings we just mentioned, or if I want to access my money earlier, I can sell my shares through the secondary market to someone else. If you want to take advantage and invest in some fine art, there is usually a wait list, but you can skip that wait list entirely if you use the link in my description below. So definitely go check it out. Thanks again to Masterworks for sponsoring this video. All right, back to the video. Lesson number four is track the trades that you don't end up making. If you decide to not invest in a 
company in my book that is still technically a trade and honestly i feel like many people forget that they don't track it but those can lead to some of your most valuable and impactful lessons as an investor so track those trades and then track the performance of the stocks that you skipped out on if in the future they perform well ask yourself what did i miss when i skipped this stock and if in the future they perform poorly ask yourself why did they perform poorly and then did i make the accurate prediction on why i should pass on this stock or was it something else this type of post examination will accelerate your learning speed as an investor and your confidence dramatically lesson number five turn off the tv and put away your phone what you have to understand is that mainstream financial media has a secret agenda to get your views you see emotion is the absolute enemy of making any money in the stock market especially for new investors because it forces you to make rash decisions void of any logic and reason and abandon your plan but provoking emotion is also what's going to get you to stay glued to your screen and tune in tomorrow as you're starting out, I do kind of recommend that you should try watching Kramer or CNBC just to get an idea for different vocabulary, how things work, or different terms and stocks that you should try and research on your own. But at the very least, be very aware of what they're trying to do, which is keep you watching. And to do that, they'll sensationalize a lot of news and headlines. For example, they'll say, today the Dow is down 180 points, instead of just saying 0.5%. They mean the same thing, but 180 points sounds a lot scarier, doesn't it? If you've ever seen Jim Cramer and his soundboard of all these sound effects, he's literally the definition of sensationalism. It is time! It's over the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve Dang, tell the lightning round is over. Tom in New York. Tom! But he can be valuable. Just keep all this stuff in mind. All right, the next lesson might shock you. Buying the dip is a lie. If you're unfamiliar, buying the dip is a common phrase in investing. You always wanna buy low and then sell high, right? So then when stocks drop, you buy the dip. But probably one of the biggest mistakes of the year that I observed in early 2021 was when a group of stocks, we call them growth stocks, they were absolutely flying in the beginning of the year and then they started to dip in late February, early March. And a lot of newer investors bought this dip aggressively and quickly. In fact, they bought so aggressively that they ran out of cash within like one to two weeks and they no longer had any more money to keep buying stocks, but the stocks kept dropping. So the lesson here is that yes, it's good to get in the psychology that as stocks go lower in price, they're actually a better deal and more attractive to long-term investors. But just because they're red doesn't mean that's the best time to actually continue buying them. They have to hit a good valuation first. And honestly, I will say that I think I did an okay job as an investor at this point in 2021, where I stayed very patient and I emphasized patience when messaging the members of the investor community, which you're also able to join down below if you'd like. I sat on my cash rather than aggressively buying at the first hint of red and waited until valuations got more attractive before buying the real dip. But yeah, there's obviously more things I have to work on, so let's keep walking through these lessons. Number seven is buy the calm before the storm. If you're looking into a stock and the chart looks boring or bad or flat or uninteresting, whatever you want to call it, that's probably an even bigger signal that you should probably start your research as soon as possible. Because the second the chart goes like this, you're going to get emotional. And again, emotion is not good for investing. You're going to get FOMO, fear of missing out, and you'll make rash decisions or you'll rush your research. You want to do your research, make decisions and make your plans before this green line happens because that's when you're most logical and level-headed. And that's a great segue into number eight, research equals returns. Believe it or not, I saw a direct correlation between how much research I did on a stock 
and how that stock performed for me in my portfolio. Let me give you some examples. Celsius Holdings, the company that produces this energy drink you see here, you may have seen it before, is probably one of the stocks I know the best in my portfolio. One that I put the most research into and one that I had the most conviction in for a while. And it was one of my best picks in the past two years, up over 350% at its peak from where we bought it. It's fallen a lot since then, but we're still up over 120%. And I'll, I'll actually discuss a mistake I made with Celsius in in 2021 later in this video. Conversely, this past year, I did the least research on Alibaba, Tattooed Chef, and Teladoc of all the positions that I own right now. And guess what my worst performing stocks of 2021 were? And Tattooed Chef is not even there because I sold it in 2021 for a loss. In Tattooed Chef, I was seeing a lot of investors that I personally respected being quite bullish on the stock at the time. And I went and did my own due diligence, which you should always do no matter who says that they like the stock. And while I was doing it, I did have rose colored glasses on because I knew so many people were bullish on the stock. And so therefore, I let a lot of red flags that I'd usually be a lot more strict on, I let them pass by. I didn't hold them to as much scrutiny, and that was a big mistake, and therefore my due diligence was lacking. For example, when I watched a multi-hour interview with the CEO Sam Gleddy with Roth Capital, some analysts on Wall Street, there were a lot of his answers that I didn't like. I did not have instilled confidence in management based on that interview, and it left me with a lot of questions as well. I wasn't super, super convicted in TTCF. And sure enough, in their most recent quarter, they had a management mishap. And that combined with some other financial data points gave me enough reason to actually sell out of the stock in about the high $15 range. I think today it's in maybe the low 15 low $14 range. And then there was the story of Teladoc. So Teladoc is a telehealth company that I'm invested in, one of my worst performing stocks. And before Teladoc, I owned a company called Livongo, or what was fondly known on this channel as Levon Gains because it was getting me and my viewers so many gains. Teladoc went and acquired Livongo, which was a remote patient monitoring for chronic illnesses combined with a bit of AI and machine learning. And I liked Livongo so much as a business, not so much Teladoc though, that I actually went and purchased Teladoc after they acquired Livongo because Livongo would be part of their business. I still wanted exposure, albeit indirect exposure, sort of, to Livongo by buying Teladoc shares. And because I liked Vongo so much, I was too lax on my due diligence on Teladoc, which is obviously a massive part of the investment. It really is the investment because their management team is also the one that would be onboarding and integrating Livongo into their business. I skimped on the Teladoc due diligence because I wanted Livongo so badly and clearly I have paid dearly for it. Finally, with Alibaba, ticker BABA, it's a massive, it's basically the Amazon of China. I pulled a little copycat. Of course, through my own due diligence, I think we can all agree that Alibaba is a absolutely solid business if you just look at the numbers they're a cash cow but the real wild card and risk with this investment was China's relationship with the US and what would the CCP do with Alibaba and their future policies I was seeing legendary investors like Charlie Munger and Monish Pabrai pile into Alibaba with absolute conviction and I knew that the fundamentals of the business checked out and when it came to the political risks I said, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And that was my mistake. You can certainly take inspiration from these incredible investors, but you should never simply copy them. And that's where lesson number nine comes in. You can buy my stock, 
but you cannot buy my conviction. In other words, yes, you can copy me and buy the same stock as me, which by the way, you should never do, but you will never be able to buy my conviction because conviction is really how much do you believe in that company and its long-term success? And that stems from countless hours of research into that company that I have done that you simply just can't get out of me by buying the same stock. You have to do it too. And in the end, conviction is really what matters, especially if the going gets tough and the stock is struggling. Because in those periods, you have to remind yourself why you invested in that stock. And if your reason is because, oh, because I saw someone else do it, that's not a very good reason, at least in terms of strength of reasoning, that's gonna allow you to hold onto that stock and even be willing to buy more while it's going down. Versus someone like me say, I did all the research for the stock, I have all the conviction and you copied me, again, which you should never do, I know exactly why I bought into that stock. I know the research I did and I have enough faith in that company based on my hardcore research that I can buy more. So you can buy the same stock, but you cannot buy the conviction. And at the end, that's what matters. All right, lesson number 10, we're over halfway there. A rocket ship can still be cheap. If you see a stock that's up over 100% or 50% or hundreds of percent in the past year and the stock charts going up and to the right, Usually that will indicate a stock that is either overbought or overvalued or hyped up. Every once in a while, you'll find a stock that has done that, but it's actually not overvalued. Sometimes it can even be cheap. Ultimately, like it usually does, it comes down to valuation. And don't worry if you don't know how to value a stock or what valuation even means in investing, just make sure you subscribe. I'm gonna try and do some more educational content as time goes on. But just because a stock is up a lot, doesn't mean that it's overvalued. Even if it does turn out to be overvalued, the worst case scenario is now you know about that business and you understand it well enough to where you can put it on your watch list. And if it does come back down to a more reasonable price, you don't have to spend as much time to decide whether or not you wanna pull the trigger. You'll have already done the research. And that ties into number 11. Sometimes the hype is actually warranted. Now for a lot of this video, I've talked about not succumbing to the hype, not falling for the hype, not chasing the hype. But at the same time, I did say, if you see a stock getting hyped up, you might as well check it out and see if it has good fundamentals underneath the hood. For example, MP Materials is one company. It was a stock that I had kind of put in the category of hype stocks. I saw a lot of YouTubers talking about it, a lot of finance, Twitter as well. And I wrote it off as another good story, but a bad stock. And that was a mistake. It was ignorance on my part, and I admit that. MP Materials recently had 142% revenue growth year over year, 71% gross margins, and a 50% EBIT margin, which if you have no idea what that means, it is a very fundamentally sound business. And if I had looked into this back when I first heard about it and added it to my watch list, I probably could have caught it near lows and been up over 50% by now. At today's price, it's a little too expensive for me to add to my portfolio at this current point in time. However, sometimes, again, the hype is warranted. Conversely, there are stocks out there getting hyped that don't even have any sales yet. One example is Arrival, which back in 2020 was trading at about $27 a share, and it was an extremely hyped up EV stock. Basically, in this video, I said that it wasn't worth that much at that time based on fundamentals, and today, it trades at $7 per share. That's a case where the hype wasn't really warranted or it was just too early. Okay, lesson number 12, leave a comment if you're taking notes. Read can go both ways. 
You can obviously get greedy by holding onto a stock for too long as it's going upwards. Say you're up 100% on a position and you know, you know it has to be overvalued or too expensive right now based on fundamentals, but you just wanna see a little bit how much further it can go. How much can you squeeze out of this position? That's greedy, but greed can also go the other way. Now let's say you're watching a stock and you really want to buy that stock, but you're waiting for it to get to a lower and lower price. That stock is finally dropping, 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 and you're watching it as it's dropping. But now that it's dropping, you you wanna wait till it drops more before you buy. You wanna get the best price possible. But uh-oh, while you're waiting, it starts to go back up again. And then you say, no, I'll wait for it to go back down to where it was and then I'll buy. But it doesn't do that. It just keeps going up. And now you're being stubborn. You're saying, I will not buy this stock until it goes back to the very bottom where it was before. And that's also called price anchoring, by the way, which is not a very good thing to do. So you got too greedy because you wanted too low of a price when it had already gone past the price you wanted to buy it originally. So basically set a plan, set a price target, a profit target, if you will, of when you would end up selling the stock, when you'd be happy on your return. And if it hits that, stick to your plan and let it go. And set a plan for when you buy a stock, what price do you wanna buy it at? And if it hits that, just start buying as long as that's a good valuation. And if it continues to drop, if you liked it at a higher price, you should probably like it even more at the lower price. There's another great saying that relates to this lesson in particular, and that is bears and bulls both make money. Pigs get slaughtered. Number 13, don't spread yourself too thin. A lot of new investors often just buy any stock that gets recommended to them or that they're interested in. And they can often end up with a list of 25, 30, 50 different stocks now in their portfolio. You might forget what some of them do or why you bought them in the first place even. And I know for a fact, unless you're insane or you're just crazy fast reader or something like that, you're probably not gonna keep up with all 30 of these companies with their different press releases, quarterly reports, earnings calls, and all of that stuff. There's just no way. Too many stocks is too hard to keep tabs on. And if you can't keep tabs on your stocks, then you start to lose track of your portfolio. Now, this is obviously very different for if you're a new investor and you're just investing in the S&P 500 and maybe like Apple, Google, and Microsoft. You don't really have to touch those. Those can go on autopilot. But if you're investing aggressively into smaller companies, growth companies, speculative companies, where every quarter is mission critical, in my opinion, it'd be really hard to have more than 10 to 15 of those. And that's where I found to be the magic number, about 10 to 13 stocks and sometimes I'll stretch to 15. But if you're starting with a smaller account, say maybe one to $10,000, you might even wanna go lower than that just because a more concentrated portfolio, it's easier to grow. I mean, assuming you pick the right stocks, it is easier to move the needle than if you say you have 20 positions in a $1,000 portfolio, you really need all 20 of them to move in the right direction to grow that account. Lesson 14, we are chugging along here, people. Lesson 14 is cover your bases. Another way to say diversify. But here's the thing, a lot of people, when they hear diversification, especially when they first start investing, they just think that buying multiple different stocks is diversification. And in a way it is, but there's many layers to diversification. Layer one is the number of stocks. How many stocks do you own? The more stocks you own, technically the more diversified you are. Technically, but if all 10 stocks I own are all fintech stocks in the same sector, same industry, then I'm actually not very diversified. If you take Lending Club, SoFi, Affirm, Upstart, those are four different fintech companies. So I'm diversified across four stocks, but 
they often move together because they're in the same industry and sector. So you might want to consider diversifying across sectors as well. For example, one stock in video games, one in cybersecurity, one in food and beverage, one in aerospace and defense, etc. Another layer of diversification is the size of the company because size or market cap often is an indication of maybe the stability or the growth phase that that business is in. For example, mega caps are companies that are worth hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars. For those are your Apple, Facebook, or I guess Meta, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, those companies that are more stable, more mature. Then you have large cap stocks, which are stocks that are worth over $10 billion. Then there's mid caps, which are stocks worth between two to $10 billion. Then there's small caps, which are worth usually between 300 million to $2 billion. Small caps tend to have the highest risk reward, which means they are usually the riskiest, but have the potential for 10, 20 X returns. And then mega caps and large caps are often again, more stable and more consistent returns depending on the company. And the final layer of diversification we'll discuss is the type of stock. So do you have dividend stocks? Do you have GARP stocks, which is stands for growth at a reasonable price? Do you have value stocks? Do you have speculative stocks? And that's another way to diversify your portfolio. Lesson number 15, no guts, no glory. As silly as it sounds, this is actually one of my biggest lessons in 2021. It's kind of unique to myself and other investors with a following, but I'll, I'll make it relatable to you guys as well. Full transparency, very odd to have thousands of people, you know, the thousand plus members of the investor community who see my every trade in real time and the thousands of you who watch these videos, you guys all get to see my trades. And sometimes it's scary because I know that I could be wrong. I could make a mistake or maybe a certain trade will be judged or viewed a certain way by my audience. And that's a lot of stuff that I have to think about that in a private setting or a normal investing setting, you wouldn't have to think about. There were times in 2021 where I was seriously considering selling my entire Celsius holdings position. Remember I said we would come back to Celsius later in the video. That's this moment right here. Celsius was at over $100 per share and it was undeniably overvalued. Same with Upstart. Upstart Holdings, a fintech company that I bought about $110 per share, it was trading at over $350 per share, it hit a peak of over $400 and around $350, that was when I was like, I should probably sell this entire position. But I'd only been holding Upstart for about six to seven months at that point. And if I sold it, I was thinking, would people think I'm not a long-term investor? I haven't been holding this for very long. Maybe they'll think I'm I'm not a long-term investor even though I say I am. And if I sell Celsius, I know that so many people in my audience also hold that stock. And although my videos should not influence you and should, you should not just copy what I do, I hope that you do your own research and due diligence and make your own decisions. But I knew that if I made announcements saying I completely sold out of Celsius, that would be a shockwave to the community. So I ended up not doing either and I'm not placing blame on anyone but myself. That was ultimately my decision. I'm just kind of explaining the thought process. And since then, Celsius fell from over $100 a share to now around $50 a share. It was cut in half and Upstart fell from peaks of 400 to now like 130. It was more than cut in half. Granted, I did trim about 25% of my Celsius position starting at $70 per share and trimmed it all the way up to about $100 per share. And again, the only reason I had the balls for lack of a better phrase to sell TTCF was because the case was simply so strong. It was so clear. But in all honesty, if I was in private and I didn't have a following, I probably would have sold out sooner. And you can believe me or not. I mean, obviously you might be skeptical of me trying to say I wanted to 
make these trades that would have turned out to be perfect. You can believe me or not. It doesn't affect me. I know what ended up happening and going through my mind. But moving forward, I've just got to do what I think is best for my portfolio, regardless of the potential repercussions or per perceptions or anything like that. I have to do what I would actually do with my money if I was investing. I mean, I am investing for myself. I can't let fears of public perception or the risk of being wrong prevent me from what I think at that time is the right decision. And so the way I relate this back to all of you is that you have to have confidence in your opinions, in your theses, in your reasoning. And you have to be able to share that with people. You know, that that's how confident you should be and be prepared to be wrong. But what I've learned is that as long as you make the best decision possible with the facts that you have at that point in time, it is very hard to have regrets. All right, that got kind of weirdly deep. Let's reset a little bit and go to number 16. Long-term investments aren't actually long-term. So yeah, long-term investing usually is long-term or at least we intend it to be. Let me put it this way. If we use Upstart again as an example, when I bought into Upstart at about $110 per share, I went into it with the mindset that I'm prepared to hold this stock for the next three to five years until I think it can double or triple in value. That's how I'm prepared to do. That's my expectation for this stock and that's my time horizon. But if it doubles or triples within the next six months, am I no longer a long-term investor if I sell? I mean, it hit my target, it hit my expectation. It's not my fault that it happened a year and a half or two and a half years early. So yes, you are still a long-term investor if you've only been holding for a few months and you've doubled up or tripled up or seen the gains you expected on that long-term investment and you are allowed to exit that position as long as the logic, the reasoning and the plan is there. And I think that's kind of the paradigm shift that I had to have is that, yeah, I expect this to be long-term, but sometimes it just isn't and the market saves me some time, I'm gonna take it gracefully and say thank you and move on to the next long-term investment. All right, number 17, don't fight the Fed. So macroeconomics is a thing. I'll give you some examples of why you should not fight the Fed. In 2020, the Federal Reserve, which controls monetary policy, pumped trillions of dollars into the United States economy after the Rony Rona struck and everything plunged. Generally speaking, the economy and the stock market are pretty correlated. So when the Fed was basically saying, we're gonna prop this thing up and we're gonna pump it into oblivion, that's a signal to investors, you should probably follow that trend and trade alongside the Fed's policy. The printing of trillions of dollars from the Fed and the fact that they kept interest rates near zero is a huge, massive reason why we've seen two incredible years in the stock market since 2020 began. But now, towards the end of 2021, the Fed has been hinting towards and now is officially planned for rate hikes in 2022. If you don't know what a rate hike is, no worries. It means a rise in interest rates from the Federal Reserve. And generally speaking, the stock market doesn't love when that happens. That's really all you need to know for the context of this video. Another example of when a rate hike spooked the market is in the fall of 2018. If you go back and look at the chart of the SP 500, you'll see a nice correction there. And that was a result of rising interest rates. So if you're new to the stock market, I highly suggest you start learning a bit about the Federal Reserve, what they do and what monetary policy is on a basic level. And finally, we have made it, ladies and gentlemen, to lesson 18 from 2021, valuation matters. I, I think everyone saw that coming, valuation matters. 
After an incredible and crazy 2020 where evaluation didn't really matter, in 2021, all of a sudden, it does again. And this is something I pointed out actually in January 2021 in my video where I kind of made a prediction about what the market would do this past year. And I said investing would get a lot harder and you'd have to take it a lot more seriously if you wanted to outperform. Obviously, I did not take my own advice. I am just kidding. I took it extremely seriously, which is why I'm a little bit dejected with my performance in the past year. But that's okay because that's really just the price of what it costs to learn these 18 lessons that I'm sharing with you right now. So I'm, I'm giving them to you for free. So you, all you have to do is smash the like button, you know, well, the thing YouTubers say. In the last few months of 2021, especially, we did see a bit of a valuation reset, especially in small caps and growth stocks in particular. And this is in part due to the Fed threatening to raise rates, which they're probably going to do this year. They're definitely going to do this year because also a rise in rates, again, means more expensive to borrow money for these high growth companies that are burning cash like crazy. And it also affects the traditional modeling for price predictions for these growth stocks where profits are pushed so far into the future. But anyways, the point is valuation is a cornerstone for long-term replicable success in the stock market. I'm trying my best to emphasize it here on YouTube and almost every stock research video I do, I try and mention valuation at least once. So please, please incorporate it into your analysis and take it seriously. And let's try and get other more financial creators to talk about valuation. And bonus tip number 19 for those of you who stayed this long, cash flow personal cash flow. Do the best you can to save as much as you can and put it into your brokerage account every single week or every single month, especially, especially, especially if you're starting with like $100 or $1,000 or $10,000. If that's where your portfolio is at right now, honestly, most of the time, most of the growth and the size of your portfolio at that stage will be from you contributing more cash into that portfolio. From there, you start to build the snowball and then the compound effect kind of takes over. But to really get it started, to hyper hypercharge that growth in the beginning, focus on cash flow as well. So to everyone who supports me, watches these videos, clicks the like button, subscribes, all that stuff. Thank you so much for your support, and I wish I could have put up better numbers in 2021 for all of us, but we're still on pace in that long-term time horizon of since inception. We're still on pace with the S&P 500. We still got a shot, and I genuinely believe the lessons I learned in 2021, some of them are much more detailed and, and higher level than the ones I mentioned today. I genuinely believe that I'm ready to become a much better investor in 2022, and that's what this channel is about, sharing everything I'm learning with all of you so that you don't have to go and make the mistakes for yourself. And that's why I'm also surrounding myself with people like Nick and Kevin to teach me about what they've learned in their years of experience that they have on me. And they're actually doing a completely free educational webinar this month on the 23rd of January, 2022. And it's gonna be at 1 p.m on Sunday, January 23rd, completely free, how to crush the stock market in 2022, their framework of how they do technical analysis and fundamental analysis. All you have to do is sign up in the link below. It's completely free, just use your email and uh, also check out Masterworks, the sponsor of this video. So thank you guys so much and uh, I'll see you in the next one, peace.